You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World this week Broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite Listen to the Anarchist World this week Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse Listen to analysis of local, national, international events to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Tosco. I'm hosting today's program. Yes, I'm back finally in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne from which this program is broadcast. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. The program is also streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Well, predictions. As you know, I normally don't spend much time looking at things overseas, but uh, I want to make a few predictions uh, this morning, which is uh, the 4th of November, regarding the US election. It's not just a presidential election. It's a Congress election. It's election for judges. It's election for citizens-initiated referendums. It's a partial election for the Senate. And uh, it's quite an interesting election because obviously Americans had had a gutful of the uh, system four years ago. They didn't want business as usual. Many had been left behind and uh, they voted for a tax evading billionaire, hoping that somehow he would uh, fix things for them. Four years later, they've got, uh, they've got to make a decision about uh, what they want to do. And as we know, there are many radical elements in uh, American society, many people who've been working at the grassroots level for uh, decades to change things because the land of the brave and the free, in inverted commas, isn't the type of uh, example you'd like uh, to follow. So my prediction, uh, whether it's right or wrong, doesn't really matter because it doesn't, I mean, reality is reality. My prediction is very simple. Uh, Mr Trump will get 85 electoral college votes. Mr Biden will get 450. Yes, 450. Uh, the Democrats will sweep the Congress and they will have a slim majority in the Senate. Obviously, in the next 24 hours, you'll know whether I'm totally wrong or uh, right. But I think the election of a Biden president or the re-election of a Trump president isn't the real issue in America as it isn't in Australia. Obviously, sun shines the next day. But the real issue is the type of society that they have and the reforms that need to be made in order to ensure that uh, all their citizens and residents are actually able 
to enjoy the fruits of that society. It's the same concept as in Australia. Now, democracy isn't, as we think, casting a ballot every three to four years. Democracy is much more. It's active participation. If there's one thing the anarchist world this week talks about, it's about active participation. It's about your participation. Obviously, the COVID-19 crisis, that uh, amount of participation has uh, decreased dramatically. But as the crisis and the numbers come under control in Australia, it gives us a greater opportunity to get involved in things because nothing has really changed. And I'd like to make an apology. Look, I, I felt at the beginning of the COVID-19 crisis that things were going to be different. Unfortunately, things aren't different. They're talking about more deregulation, less government expenditure on essential services, more corporatisation, and the list goes on and on, and more privatisation. So things haven't changed and things will not change because ultimately we need to remember that we are the people we've been waiting for. It's not our religious leaders, it's not our secular leaders, it's not our prime minister or the government of the day or the state premiers or the state parliaments. It's us, we. And if we have hopes for change, it means our active participation in the social, political process. It's not about a full-time participation in the virtual world, which ultimately is an illusion which allows us to isolate ourselves uh, with people with similar viewpoints and re- we reinforce our viewpoints. It's much more than that. Because the difference between action and direct action and virtual action on social media is that although action on social media can muddy the waters and entrench people in their particular belief system, it doesn't solve issues. So I do encourage you to get back in the groove, as they say, get back and become active again. Now, just in case you forgot, anarchism, simple concept, comes from the word anarchos, without rulers, The uh, anarchist mission, if you want to use a uh, religious term, is to create a society without rulers. What gives rulers the ability to determine the fate of billions of people? It's very simple. Inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggles, the struggle to devolve power, that's share power, to move from a representative democracy or a dictatorial system or whatever into a system where the people involved in the decision make that decisions and then use a delicate system to coordinate those decisions at a local, national, international level. And it's a society where wealth is held in common and used for the common good. It's not communism. It's not socialism. It's much, much more than that. It's about breaking down hierarchy. It's about creating a society where each and every one of us is, has the potential to be involved in the decision-making processes and has the potential to share in the Commonwealth society. So it's diametrically opposed to what capitalism and communism is. Obviously, it's got some similarities with uh, socialism. So that's what we're talking about. 
Now, let's move on. I mean, I can make all the predictions I like about the United States elections. You'll know in the next 24 to 48 hours what's happened, whether Trump or uh, Biden is re-elected. I mean, if the Democrats get a clean sweep uh, of the Congress and the Senate and the presidential uh, office, what it means is the potential is created for a new deal for Americans, a deal, a new deal they haven't had since the last Great Depression. And it's quite interesting that they, they, like us, are now facing a depression. And maybe it is time for a new deal where the needs of the citizens were taken into account. Because for far too long, during the past four decades, during what I describe as the, and many other people obviously describe as the privatisation, deregulation, corporatisation, globalisation era, what we've seen is the concentration of power, and wealth in fewer and fewer hands. We've now got the ridiculous situation on planet Earth with about 7.4 billion people, where seven people own, O-W-N, 50% of the world's wealth. Just extraordinary. So these are things that we must continue to battle against. So let's look at a few... Look, I like to have a bit of a laugh normally, and uh, I haven't had a laugh for a while, and I had a big laugh in the last 24 hours. When the Commonwealth Government set up a blueprint for discussion for their Commonwealth Integrity Commission, and obviously we all like acronyms, and it'll be CIC, the Commonwealth Integrity Commission. And it's quite interesting. It's broken up into two parts. It's broken up into an area that concentrates on federal politicians and federal public servants and an area which concentrates on the federal police and the border force. Now, it's interesting to see that Border Force and the Federal Police have been thrown to the wolves as a sacrificial sacrifice, and I have no problems with that whatsoever, considering their behaviour in many situations. But I would actually like to closely look at what has been proposed in the Commonwealth Integrity Commission bill, which is up for public discussion over the next six months. Now, I, don't describe, I would describe it more as a protection bill, a protection bill for senior public servants and federal politicians. I mean, it'd make the mafia blush when you actually look at the uh, small print. The first thing is that there'll be no public hearings. That's right. No public hearings. It's all in private. Secondly... No reports on investigations need to be issued to the public. It gets better. It's like those advertisements for steak knives, you know, where they throw in the steak knives and uh, something else to get you to part with your hard-earned cash. No whistleblowers will be allowed to give evidence. That's right, no whistleblowers. And it gets even better the Commonwealth Integrity Commission can only investigate a case if it's referred to them by a government authority or institution who has determined there is a high probability of a criminal conviction. So if you want a Commonwealth Integrity Commission to fail, this is the perfect blueprint if you want to set up a protection racket to protect senior public service and uh, federal politicians from any inquiry into their 
suspect behaviour. This is the perfect vehicle for it. And it's quite interesting that there is a six-month discussion period because the whole point is the federal government, and to a lesser extent the federal opposition, are not very keen to see this legislation pass through Parliament. And it's quite interesting that the bill has been put up for discussion about a week before the independent member for Indi, one of the few independent members in federal parliament, uh, was going to put forward her own private member's bill regarding a Commonwealth Integrity Commission. So you really have to wonder, why all the fuss? You know, if I'm involved in corrupt behaviour, I can assure you that I'd be investigated this afternoon. And I'm sure that if you're involved in corrupt behaviour and it was found out, you'd be investigated pretty quickly because there are many laws which allow those investigations to be carried out. But in this case, it looks like they don't actually want anybody to see or hear what's happening. So it's a perfect blueprint for nothing. You may as well not have a Commonwealth Integrity Commission based on these principles because if it does go through Parliament and hopefully it'll be blocked in the Senate in its current format, if it does go through Federal Parliament, what that will mean is that people will mistakenly think there is some type of uh, group which can actually uh, investigate. Now, it's all very well to give this uh, so-called Commonwealth Integrity Commission greater powers than a Royal Commission but if you can't refer cases to it, what's the purpose of those greater powers? Well, obviously the purpose of those greater powers is to get you to believe that somehow things will change. So uh, keep your ears and eyes open for it. And if you think it's a bit of a furphy and you've got the time, contact your local member, tell them what you think, because uh, it's really a joke. Well, it's not even a joke. It's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. We're back in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. Now, a few things people have been asking about. As the COVID-19 lockdown decreases, the first thing I'd like to remind people is that uh, the public interest before corporate interest annual general meeting, which was supposedly to be held today on Wednesday the 4th of November has been temporarily suspended as there are still restrictions in the state of Victoria about how far people can travel and uh, we didn't the executive didn't believe that we didn't want to disenfranchise members who weren't able to use Zoom and we have many members who are not on the uh, social media for a variety of reasons so it's been temporarily suspended now every member should have received notification in the past two weeks regarding the suspension of the AGM so if you turn up today, there'll be nobody there. All right. The, sec- the third, second thing I'd like to, think, like to talk about is the Francesco Fantine Memorial, which we hold every year at Murchison, which is about 160, 170 kilometres from Melbourne. Uh, this is the uh, cemetery at which uh, Francesco Fantine, anarchist, atheist, anti-fascist, anti-militarist, is buried with many other prisoners of war and internees. Uh, Francesco Fantine was an anarchist who escaped to uh, Australia in 1924 from the fascist upheaval in, in that country. 
was involved in anti-fascist activity, which alerted Australians, especially the Australian trade union movement, to the dangers of the resurgent fascist movement around the world. In February 1942, he was interned as an enemy alien in an internment camp, and he was interned with 350 bona fide Italian fascists. He survived for about eight months and while taking a drink from a tap, he was beaten to death from behind uh, by one of the the, uh, other prisoners and uh, basically forgotten. Now, a number of years ago, a few years ago, we uh, located where his body was and we've been holding uh, memorials there. We will hold a memorial this year. It'll be quite a small memorial, obviously, because many people won't be. Many, some people will be able to travel; others won't be able to travel. Uh, it'll be at the Willoughby Street, the Murchison Cemetery. There'll be a few of us there. Please join us. Obviously, we will maintain COVID nineteen uh, restrictions on the day. It's on the fifteenth of September. That's Sunday, the fifteenth of September, at eleven a.m. After ceremony, most likely we'll have a uh, light lunch. Okay, down by the riverbank, down by the uh, Goulburn River. So that is one of the first activities we've been involved in since March. The next activities, people keep asking me about the Reclaim the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion celebrations, which we've had every year since 2002 in Ballarat, to reclaim the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion. Now, we will have some celebrations, uh, but... It'll be at a lower level and to a significant degree depends on the number of people we can actually have at that particular point in time. Uh, Currently, we will have the dawn ceremony from 4am to 6am, followed by a communal breakfast. And currently, we will have the um, gathering we normally have around at the grave site at the old Ballarat Cemetery, the gravesite of the Eureka Rebels, on the 3rd of December at midday. These are the only two things that currently have are cemented in concrete and the numbers that we'll be able to attend will depend on COVID-19 restrictions. Um, I'm hoping that by the end of this week, restrictions travel between uh, Melbourne and regional Victoria will be lifted. Obviously, many restrictions which stop uh, other people from interstate coming to the celebrations will still be in force but hopefully we'll be able to have some people there to uh, remember that so I'll just keep that in mind I'll keep you updated as we see what happens I mean I think it's important that uh, we do the right thing by our fellow citizens in these situations so we will work within those COVID-19 restrictions at that particular time so these are two things now, regarding the public housing, everybody's uh, business uh, protest, this is something that uh, we're thinking of re-initiating, uh, maybe two, three, four, five weeks, but uh, we'll keep you informed about that. So as I said before, things are starting to move again. Things have not changed, and I think it's important that uh, we remain active. Now, you may have noticed that I've had a bit of bugbear about the Murdoch Empire in the last uh, few years, maybe the last 40 years. But I've got a bugbear now about the Government Guild at ABC and the Murdoch Empire. I am sick and tired of paying taxes which go to support the Government Guild at ABC and all the Government Guild at ABC seems to do 
is call on Murdoch employees to give their opinion about current events in this country. The number of people from the Australian and other uh, newspaper outlets and other media outlets that are currently appearing on ABC current affairs programs is extraordinary. It's as if they've been infected via a virus which is more virulent than COVID-19, at least with COVID-19, the mortality rate is about 2 to 2.5%. I think with the uh, infection in the Australian Broadcasting Corporation from Murdia, Murdoch Media Hacks is having a profound impact on the credibility of the ideas and the news and the analysis that we hear and see on the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. And this has occurred to a significant degree because of increasing pressure from the government on the Australian Broadcasting Corporation to incorporate opinion from the Murdoch Empire within the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. I'll give you another example. There's a program called Big Ideas, and I think last week or this week they had a pretty tame interview of somebody who, I think an Australian academic in the US, who you know is a great... Uh, a supporter of democratic socialism, you know, minor reform. At the end of the program, we were told that next week we would have somebody speaking about the evils of socialism. I mean, I cannot believe how pathetic the organisation has become. And that's why community radio is so important. Because when I walk into this studio, which I haven't done for almost six months, nobody tells me what to say. Nobody tells me what to say. But in the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, the presenters are basically beholden to editorial teams who follow guidelines which are set by governments which theoretically, theoretically, give everybody, everybody's point of view a guernsey. The reality is that if your point of view is different to a capitalist point of view, there is no way you'll get a Guernsey in the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. It's as if people like you and me don't exist. And we pay taxes like everybody else. And if you think you don't pay taxes because you are you know, on some type of a government benefit, well, think again. We all pay goods and services tax, so fear, we all pay taxes... So I think it's about time that the Australian Broadcasting Corporation cast its net a little bit wider in terms of opinion makers in this country because currently it's a void, it's a desert. I'm not saying the Australian Broadcasting Corporation hasn't got good programs about social issues and about food and about entertainment, which I, I, I think really shouldn't be the central core of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation's business in reflecting what appears in the private media, but we should have a greater diversity of opinion regarding what's going on in our society. I'm sick and tired of listening to the same actors give the same viewpoints almost daily, and many of these viewpoints and most of these viewpoints in the Australian Broadcasting Corporation as far as the news section is, news analysis section is concerned, are not very different 
from what appears in the uh, Murdoch Empire, whether it's the Australian or the other newspapers that they have a monopoly on, or whether it's uh, Fox News and the list goes on and on. It's just quite extraordinary. This didn't occur 20 years ago, I can assure you. Let's move on. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Just a few uh, sites you can visit after the program if you wish. Uh, there's uh, my Facebook page, Joseph Toscana. You'll see many of the activities I'm involved in on that Facebook page. No, you won't know the colour of my underpants. I don't even know what colour underpants I put on this morning. Did I put on underpants? I'll have to think about that. But obviously there's uh, interesting stuff there. Uh, you can go to Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. I'm doing one 15 to 20-minute presentation every week, and uh, you can look at that to keep yourself up to date with what's happening. Now, a few websites you can go to, Defend and Extend Public Housing, Public Housing Everybody's Business, anarchismedia.org, pibci.net, that's Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, pibci.net. You can go to uh, YouTube, as I said before, Instagram, Pipsy, P-I-B-C-I-A-U-S. We've got a Twitter stream, which we hardly ever use, but it's all there. As I said before, it may be there, but uh, it doesn't matter how much crap you've put on social media or how much interesting stuff you put on social media, unless it's translated into action on the ground, nothing will happen. Let's move on. Now, the Reserve Bank has done something quite extraordinary. It's the Reserve Bank of Australia. I'm not talking about the reduction of uh, interest rates to 0.1%. That's right, 0.1%. But they've entered the quantitative easing market. That's the QE market for those of you who like acronyms. The QE market, quantitative easing. Now, quantitative easing is a little bit like magic. Remember all those stories you read as an adolescent, and I think you continue to read as an adolescent, about people trying to make gold out of thin air? Well, the Reserve Bank of Australia, and obviously the Reserve Bank of the United States of England and many other European countries and countries around the world, have worked out how to make billions of dollars out of thin air. And the Australian Reserve Bank, which is not privately owned but government owned, has now entered that market and they've pulled $100 billion out of the ether, which they're going to try to fund through, you know, lending it to the banks for 0.1%, that's the private banks, and then giving the banks 0.6% for buying long-term government bonds, 5- to 10-year bonds. And they've done this not to stimulate the economy as you think, because the theory obviously behind the quantitative easing is currently there is minimal private investment out there. Everybody's concerned what happens when job seeker and job keeper disappear by the end of March. They're very concerned about the number of zombie businesses that are just hanging on by the tip of their fingers. They've made changes to the bankruptcy laws. They've allowed companies that are techni- that are insolvent to continue trading, which used to be illegal. So, and they're quite concerned about the unemployment rate, which theoretically rests around eight percent, with practically is more like twenty percent 
when you take the uh, three million people that are on JobKeeper off JobKeeper, you'll find that many of them won't go back to work, especially in the tourist industry and the education industry, because irrespective of whether COVID-19 is contained or not in this country, there won't be a huge tourist market for a long, long time. And as tourism was the country's third biggest earner after uh, natural resources, education, and as tourism is a industry which employs a large number of people because you're dealing with people, obviously the Reserve Bank knows there's going to be a huge pool of unemployed people. And that's the tragedy of living in a, in a capitalist society, a society based on private investment for private profit. Unless you've got resources which you can invest, and that's what the investment class is all about, people who've got disposable income after meeting their uh, financial commitments for the week or the month or the year, they can invest it and use this country's investment-friendly laws, you know, like negative gearing, franking credits, and the list goes on and on, corporate welfare in order to maximise their profits. But the trouble is that if you're not an investor and you haven't got a job, you're stuffed. Life is very difficult. It's a hand-to-mouth existence. And what the doubling of the job seek, although it's decreased now, did was actually give a lot of people who are on on, um, unemployment benefits the ability to live a reasonable, not a good, but a reasonable life. They could pay the electricity bills, have some food, you know, pay their rent, and the list went on and on. So obviously the Reserve Bank is quite concerned about what will happen economically in this country. We're not going to have what's called a V-shaped recovery where everything goes down when the country is locked and everything goes up when the COVID-19 restrictions are removed. It doesn't work that way. So the $100 billion which has been pumped, created out of thin air, which has been pumped into the economy, which has been given to the private banks to lend out to investors to create jobs and decrease unemployment. That's the theory. Isn't has It's actually been put out there to stabilise. That's right. Stabilise the financial system. That it's its main function is to say to people, if the government of the day is not willing to do what is necessary in order to pull the economy out of recession, depression, then the Reserve Bank, for the first time in living memory, in its history, will pull money out of thin air in order to try to stabilise the economy. That's to stop it going further down the gurgler. So it's an interesting position we find ourselves in when the Reserve Bank is forced to step in because government policies don't really address the major issues. And the major issues in a capitalist society is employment. Because if you're not employed or you don't receive a social security benefit, you are in big trouble. Ask many of the international students who are living hand-to-mouth who can't return back to their country at the minute what happens when no money comes in. Big trouble. Huge trouble. That's the situation. So what this raises is something that I've been raising on this program for a long, long time, something which is a central plank of public interest before corporate interest uh, policy. 
and that's why I continue to encourage people to join public interest before corporate interests. Go to the website, pipsy.net, download the application form. Simple. So let's get back to what I was saying. What we need to really look at, the most serious situation we need to face, is to break the link between surviving and employment in a capitalist society. We need to break that link for a number of reasons, not just because of COVID-19 pandemics, which will come and go, but because of increasing mechanisation, because of uh, artificial intelligence. We have now reached the stage in human development and economic uh, theory and economic uh, development. We've now reached the stage where there are too many human beings who not everybody needs to work in a society for that society to function. Not everybody needs to be involved in the wage system. And what JobKeeper basically is, is a universal basic income for a small number of people who are involved in industries which are having trouble surviving during the COVID-19 pandemic. So we should be thinking as a society outside the box. In the 1890s and the early 1900s, Australia was at the forefront of reforms, at the very forefront of reforms in the Western world. In the, at the beginning of the 21st century, or the second, almost the third decade in the 21st century, we're at the bottom of the reform list. Can't even tackle the issue of uh, the climate emergency, let alone reform the economic system. I mean, when they talk about reform, and this is why I apologised earlier on in the program when I thought things would be a little bit different because of the COVID-19 pandemic, they talk about more deregulation, they talk about more corporate welfare, they talk about more legislation to actually uh, cremate what's left of the dying trade union movement. That's to them is reform. When we talk about reform, we talk about looking at the situation we find ourselves in in a capitalist society where not everybody is needed to work in order for that society to function and prosper. It's a little bit like the problem the Roman Empire had with their plebeians, with their citizens, as the empire expanded and money flowed in from all the conquered territories and slaves slowed in. The plebeians, like Trump Trump's Americans found themselves on the outer and the way the uh, Roman Empire resolved the issue was providing bread and circuses, that's where that phrase comes from, provided the basic necessities of life for its plebeians, you know, its citizens and it provided entertainment to such a degree that there were over 200 public holidays in the latest, in the first century AD uh, in the Roman um, Empire. Now, I'm not equating us to the Roman Empire, but I'm equating us to the same problem. They had the same problem. Their citizens were not needed to work because they had a huge body of slaves who could work for nothing, who weren't paid to work. And there's an interesting account, and I've forgotten his name, of a general as he marches from successful conquest of Spain across Europe into northern uh, Italy he notices that there are these huge estates, what I call Roman corporations, huge estates 
there are a few people living in luxury houses who own the estates. There are thousands of slaves who are not paid who are doing the work, and if they're really good, they can be you know they can apply for Roman citizenship in twenty or thirty years. And on the fringes of the estate, living in abject poverty, were Roman citizens because they were no longer needed. No longer needed. Things had changed. It's the same in 21st century world. It's the same in 21st century Australia. Mechanisation, artificial intelligence, means that we do not need everybody to be involved in the paid labour force in order for this society to function and, more importantly, prosper. So we need to be looking at a mechanism by which to provide the basic necessities to those citizens and residents who do not wish to be part of the paid labour force, but who can make a major contribution to society in a volunteer capacity. Because, contrary to popular belief, when people's basic basic needs are met, they don't just sit home playing on the virtual world or watching pay TV. Most people want to be productive members. Oh, yes, some don't, but most people want to be productive members of society and want to somehow give back. So universal basic income provides that protection to individuals, various groups within society and society as a whole against disasters, both on a national level, regional level, if it's a bushfire, national level, if it's a pandemic, and a personal level, if you have a personal disaster in your living arrangements or relationships or whatever. That's what a universal basic income is. And what it means is that every week or every fortnight, like people on a disability support pension or an old age pension or another benefit, a job keeper, job seeker, received an allowance from the government. But the difference is with universal basic income, everybody receives that allowance. Even Twiggy Forrest would receive that allowance. But what happens is those people who continue to be involved in the paid system, who pay taxes, have that allowance, pay, they have to pay that allowance back through the taxation system. While those people who have no employment outside the universal basic income do not have to pay back that money. So what it does is it creates a different type of society, a more secure society, a more personable society, a more exciting society, a more dynamic society, where you don't have to be involved in the, um, the work Wage, wage slavery in order to survive and exist and prosper. But how would you fund it? How do you fund it? Do you create funny money, as the Reserve Bank has done with the $100 billion they've plucked out of the sky in the last 24 hours? Or do you change the taxation system to ensure that those organisations which prosper as a result of the taxation-friendly laws we have in this this country for an investment class actually start paying a little bit of tax. Now, obviously, the traditional taxation system is not able to address this problem because, as you know, one-third of corporations paid no tax 
and some corporations pay minimal taxation. And if you're Mr Trump or Mr Twiggy Forrest, you know, there are ways that you can actually um, big note yourself and uh, not pay much back to the taxpayer. So let's look at three ways of financing a universal basic income, which could be done tomorrow. It doesn't need revolution. doesn't need bloods in the street. It just needs legislation in Parliament. Simple legislation which is passed by both Houses of Parliament. Bingo. You can fund it. One, as I keep saying, is a 1% stock market turnover tax. The great thing about the stock market, with all this funny money floating about, is that it actually hasn't dropped that much because of the pandemic. Now, 1% stock market tax means every time you buy or sell a stock or share, you'll be paying 1% directly to the Treasury. As the the Australian Securities Commission is totally computerised, it just means pressing a button. Simple. You collect over 120 to 130 billion dollars every year in Australia from a from a one um, percent stock market tax. Now the next tax, which captures a lot of organisations which now don't pay tax, is a one percent financial tax. Every time it's not a goods and services tax; it's a financial tax. One percent every time there's a financial transaction, which there are no there's no GST goods and services tax on financial transactions in 2020, the goods and services tax is on goods and it's on services. It's not on financial transaction. Every time a dollar, 1% goes to the community via the taxation system. You could raise $250 billion. And the third plank, which I am particularly interested in, is this country's natural resources. Now, obviously... First Nations people find themselves in a difficult situation with the so-called native titles, which you have these days, which means they can't actually stop mining on their lands, but they can, to a a very small degree, negotiate for a little bit of compensation through, uh, you know, for mining on their lands. And as we've seen, it's minimal. And as we see with the uh, Fortescue Metal Group, they're quite happy to withhold that little bit of compensation until people sign on the dotted line. So why shouldn't 50%, 60%, 70% of profit which is made by these corporations, and they are corporations, they're not just, you know, people digging for opals in the outback somewhere, why shouldn't most of their profits go back to the community? through the taxation system. Could you imagine the hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, which would be collected every year from our gas resources, uranium, coal, iron ore, copper, rare earth minerals, and the list goes on and on and on. Bauxite, and the list goes on and on. I mean, we'd be the richest country in the world, not have... 700,000 children living in poverty. Some people say the number is up to 1.2 million children living in poverty post-pandemic. I mean, why should 25 million people living on a continent have such a high rate of poverty? Just extraordinary. I mean, these are three ideas. They're ideas. They're not original. There's no original ideas in the anarchist world this week. 
obviously people for thousands of years have been looking at different ways of surviving and prospering and creating secure uh, societies. But these are three ways which, as I said before, can be done through legislation. These are three simple ways by which to fund a universal basic income without creating funny money. The other thing is, why is everything privately owned in this country? Why is everything being privatised and given to the private sector? Because when you only have one form of economy functioning, competition disappears and the natural endpoint of capitalism is corporate capitalism, the formation of corporations. That's why we have laws which theoretically force corporations to uh, compete amongst each other, which uh, don't normally work that well for a variety of reasons. So these are things we, 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 need, we need to think about because it's either business as usual, increasing the GST, maybe a property tax on home ownership, and the list goes on and on, or we actually look at different ways of financing this country instead of creating funny money which uh, can eventually lead to inflation and uh, higher interest rates because there always is the piper always needs to be paid at the end of the day I mean let's not forget that the election of the Hitler government well about one third of the German people you know voted for the uh, Nazi party and that was based to a large degree on the same concept that we're seeing in the United States, in which we see in this country, as some people vote for uh, different parties, it's based on the fact that you know that inflation drove, d- destroyed the middle class's wealth, and drove them into the arms of these uh, organisations, which had obviously different agendas. So, think about it. Things don't have to be the same way. Why don't we have a strong public sector, which can act as competition for the private sector? instead of privatising what's left of the public sector. Why don't we have, you know, legislation which allows our mineral resources to be used for First Nations people and ourselves? And the list goes on and on. Why do we have legislation currently which goes through Parliament on a regular basis which basically fills the pockets of the corporate sector at the expense of the citizens of this country? Why do we have political parties which fan dissent based on racial origin, language spoken, colour of somebody's skin, sexuality? I mean, that seems to be the tenure of debate in Australia in uh, 2020. It's to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscar, I'm hosting today's Program. As I said before, I can talk to the cows come home, but uh, that doesn't solve anything. Let's move on to the current dispute with China. Now, there is an old saying in life, and the older you get, the more you realise that old sayings usually have some grains of truth in them. And the old saying is, don't bite the hand that feeds you. Now, the Australian government doesn't like Chinese, the Chinese government's policies, right? Because maybe they're ideologically opposed to what we supposedly believe in our mission statement, our cornerstone statements. Why trade with the Chinese government? 46% 
of every dollar which was exported in Australia was trade with China. So in an effort to appease the uh, Trump government, we got involved in a little bit of a spat with the Chinese government. And currently, we're seeing the agricultural sector, as well as certain sections of the mining sector, which aren't that important anymore, coal and copper, feeling the brunt of that trade dispute. So what is the Australian government doing? Nothing. It's talking about going to the world trade organisation or something. It's doing nothing. Now, I'm a great believer in tit for tat, okay? But unfortunately, people like uh, Mr Forrest and Rio Tinto and uh, BHP have a great deal of power in this country. And most of their power comes from iron ore exports. Now, the Chinese government is busily attempting to access iron ore, which is fundamental to its survival, right? Fundamental to its survival as it, as it uh, changes from an export-orientated society to a society which, you know, uh, relies on internal consumption in order to survive. Looking in, at Brazil, Guinea in West Africa and uh, Papua New Guinea for alternative supplies of iron ore. And a significant proportion of our iron ore goes to the Chinese government. So what is the, what is the Australian government kind of saying? Oh, well, you know, like the Chinese government is doing these days, you know, not actually making a statement but just saying, well, we don't need any more of your stuff. Say, so, well, we can't really export any iron ore at the minute. We've got a problem. We've got a problem exporting iron ore. We've got a problem at the ports. We just can't seem to get that iron ore out of the country. We can't get it out of the ground. Well, obviously, obviously, they're not willing to use that card in order to apply pressure on the Chinese government to reopen trade because of these, you know, these large corporations which dominate iron ore, which we have allowed to dominate the extraction of iron ore in this country. So think about it. So there are, there are many ways of approaching issues, many, many ways of approaching issues. That's the problem. That is the million-dollar problem, was it the $64,000 question. Why do we, that's right, we Australians, citizens and residents, why do we find ourselves in this difficult situation in 2020. We are a resource-rich country. We are a country with an educated population who can do much, much, much more. We are a country that has huge potential, not just in... not just following the lead of the USA, but we have huge potential in terms of assisting the people that live around this country and the people that live outside this country. But we have allowed as a people, that's right, we, you and me, it's our fault ultimately, it's the people's fault, it's our fault, we have allowed this government, this country's governments to be dominated by puppet masters 
whose major responsibility is to create ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders, irrespective of the human, social, cultural, environmental and national costs. That's what we've done. We have allowed this to occur. We have allowed the corporatisation of this country to occur. We have allowed the destruction of small and micro business in this country to occur. We have allowed the public education sector to be ground into the ground while taxpayers' funds go to support the private education sector. We have allowed legislation to be passed that always benefits that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. Ultimately, it's my fault and your fault because we have allowed this to occur, not just us personally, but as a society. We have for far too long believed the furphy that the way forward is through more deregulation, more privatisation, more corporatisation, more globalisation. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is, has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. I'd like to uh, thank all those hundreds of people that access the podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. If you want further information, you can leave a message on 0439 395 489. I'm not answer straight away, but I will answer within three or four days max. You can write to me, yes, I still pick up letters at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests. Instagram, Pibci, P-I-B-C-I-A-U-S. Um, web pages you can go to, anarchistmedia.org. Public Housing, everybody's business. Defend and extend public housing. As I said before, anarchistmedia.org. Pibsi, P-I-B-C-I dot net. If you want to join public interest before corporate interest. Our numbers are slowly growing. Hopefully within the middle of next year we'll be able to apply for registration as a federal political party ready for the federal election in 2022. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week courtesy of the Community Radio Network. You've been listening to this program courtesy of Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'll be hosting the Anarchist World this week, next week on your local community radio station. Listen in next week on the Anarchist World this week via your local community radio station. Minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.